You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. In the concourse area, on the first base side of Salt River Fields in Scottsdale, Arizona, they had draped a purple tablecloth adorned with the interlocking C&R Rockies logo over a table on a dais. Seated at the table were Rockies owner Dick Montfort, general manager Jeff Breidich, manager Bud Black, and the man of the hour, Nolan Arenado. This spring training press conference, held on February 27, 2019, was confirmation of a deal that had been in the works for weeks and on the minds not just of Rockies fans, but baseball fans everywhere for at least that long. Arenado's eight-year, $260 million extension ahead of what would have been his final year of Colorado contractual control had ramifications in free agency because it was no industry secret that big market ball clubs were salivating over the possibility of adding Arenado to their infield after 2019. But most importantly, it had ramifications for a mid-market ball club that had managed to lock up the 28-year-old player on track to be the greatest in the history of the Purple Pinstripes. Welcome to the 2009 Major League Baseball First Year Player Draft. The Washington Nationals select Steven Strasburg. He strikes out the side. He brings his total to 14. Nolan Arenado. He was drafted in the second round. Career hit number 1,000. Paul Goldschmidt drafted out of Texas State. That's number 200. J.D. was drafted and developed by the Astros. Homers in four consecutive plate appearances. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim select Michael Trout. A unanimous American League MVP, Mike Trout. Swinging first pitch, drives one out to center field. That ball is gone! Big fly for Mike Trout! Greetings, baseball fans. I'm Anthony Castrovince, MLB.com national columnist, and this is the third of six installments in our series going deep on the 2009 amateur draft and how it changed baseball. Arenado's achievement of becoming MLB's highest paid position player in terms of average annual value, well, that would prove temporary. Mere weeks later, fellow 2009 draftee Mike Trout would sign a larger deal. But Arenado's place in Colorado lore is more permanent, and this contract solidified his standing as the franchise face. Breidich handled the opening remarks with abundant praise of Arenado. We've had the, the great pleasure of seeing him develop over, you know, right before our eyes, um, not just at the minor league level, but really develop at the major league level as well. Um, and now he is truly one of the best players in the entire game. What people don't get to see very often is how this has happened. You know, behind this development has been an unbelievable amount of hard work. Uh, and not just an unbelievable amount and an unbelievable volume, but really an attention to detail um, and the will to be great. The will to be great. It's what drove Arenado, even when he was passed over in the first round of the 09 draft, 
and even when scouts questioned his ability to stick on the left-hand side of the infield. We know Arenado now as the annual All-Star and MVP candidate. We know him as the owner of six Gold Glove Awards and two Platinum Glove Awards for his Brooks Robinson-like work at the hot corner. We know him as the collector of four Silver Slugger honors, three home run titles, and two RBI titles for his abnormally productive pace at the plate. We know him as the guy who punctuated a cycle with a walk-off homer, setting off such a raucous celebration at home plate that his beaming face was bloodied by his teammates. Here we go. High fly ball, deep left field. Way back. Oh, Rockies winner. How do you like that? I got goosebumps. Remarkable. Oh, and by the way, that's a cycle. Walk-off cycle. But a decade ago, Arenado was anonymous enough to be a second-round pick. The Rockies had a free agent compensation pick and a supplemental first-round pick to accompany their regular first-round selection that year, which means Arenado was actually the fourth player they picked up in the 2009 draft. After their selections at number 11, the Colorado Rockies select Tyler Matzek. Number 32, Tim Wheeler. And number 34, Rex Brothers. Matzik, Wheeler, and Brothers combined to produce a similar wins-above-replacement mark in their entire Colorado careers to what Arenado put up just in 2017 alone. Even Bill Schmidt, the Rockies' vice president of scouting, who is widely credited with getting it right with Arenado, can look back at 2009 and say, he got it wrong too. If I knew what I knew now, hell, I should have took him at 11. Now, there's no real shame in being selected in the second round. Among shortstops and third basemen, the positions Arenado played in high school and the pros respectively, Cal Ripken Jr., Mike Schmidt, George Brett, Alan Trammell, and Barry Larkin were all second-round selections who went on to the Hall of Fame. As Buzz Aldrin, the first man to walk on the moon after the first man to walk on the moon, once said on The Simpsons, second comes right after first. But in June 2009, people in Arenado's hometown of Lake Forest, California, couldn't believe he was a second-rounder. Just ask his former teammate at El Toro High School, Oakland A's third baseman, Matt Chapman. I can I can remember, you know, six shortstops that got picked before him at the time, and me and my dad were just laughing, you know, like, because I knew how good he was from Little League. You know, I played with him growing up. He was always older, and I was always playing up, but, I mean, we I thought he was so underrated, even though he was still getting a lot of attention. Um because I just knew how good he was going to be. Like, everything he does doesn't surprise me. Everything that he's accomplished hasn't surprised me one bit. You know, I expected it from him from the very beginning. And then I thought that every single team that passed on him was going to regret it. And, I mean, you could ask my dad. We were both just saying, I can't believe that he didn't get picked in the first round. Like, I I, I couldn't believe that guys were getting picked, you know, and he wasn't, especially kids from our area that we had played against, that I was like, dude, this guy's head and shoulders better than people, but I think the Rockies got a steal. 
Chapman knew then what we know now, that Nolan Arenado is a special player whose competitive upbringing, sacrifice, and, yes, will to be great, had him bound for glory no matter where he was selected. Back in Lake Forest, those qualities were evident early. The outstanding rookie, third baseman Nolan Arenado. He was drafted in the second round. There's the first hit in the big leagues for Nolan. Touch him all time for the first time for Nolan Arenado. What a play by Arenado. The first National League rookie third baseman in history to win a Gold Glove Award. Six consecutive games with a home run. Home run number 42. And he goes out run in the National League. Walk off cycle. Nolan got an arm workout having to carry his sixth gold glove. Gone. Career hit number 1,000. What a night for Nolan Arenado. In the Southern California stucco home where Nolan Arenado grew up, there was a basketball hoop in the front yard, a pool in the back, a pool table in the bonus room, and a lively, ambitious, athletic spirit in the air. Arenado comes from a large family of Latin heritage, his father Fernando from Cuba and his mother Millie from Queens with Cuban and Puerto Rican lineage. Arenado was the second of three sons and he had seven cousins who lived within 10 minutes. In Arenado's family, the ping pong tournaments that would stretch until 2 a.m. and the Wednesday wiffle ball games that would spill into the street were legendary. Trash talk was welcomed in this tribe interrupted only by the occasional passing car. To this day, Arenado still loves the thrill of competing with and beating his brood. You know, you never want to lose and you never want to get beat by your family members because, you know, you never hear the end of it. So that was something, you know, I've always wanted to do was win. And, you know, I, I hated losing to my brothers because, um, you know, like I said, you'll hear it all night or your cousins or whatever. And we're, we hung out every day. So the last thing you wanted to do was lose. But unfortunately, those losses happened a lot of times. But I think when it came to ping pong and stuff like that, I was more on the winning side. As a kid, when Arenado wasn't crafting topspin shots or those crazy wiffle curves, he was on the baseball field. Lake Forest is a small community. So when there was a kid in the local Little League throwing a perfect game, and smacking frozen ropes, his reputation preceded him, as Chapman remembers. So I was probably like 9 or 10, and he was, you know, 12. And I just remember he was so hard in Little League, him and this kid, Andrew Wellman, who I went to high school with both of them, but they both threw like 80 miles an hour off the mound, and I just remember like getting in the very, very, very back of the box, and I was just like, oh, God, <laughs> you know. But... We were all scared to face him at the time, but so he, was, so he was always that good, and he was always really talented, and I know that he wasn't going to be a shortstop forever. You know, he's just a big guy, but he caught every single thing that he got to at shortstop. I don't think I ever saw him drop a ball. When Arenado progressed to El Toro High School, his bat was so prolific as a freshman on the JV team that Coach Mike Gonzalez shoehorned him into the starting lineup on the senior-laden varsity squad as a sophomore. Arenado's shortstop position was spoken for, so Gonzalez put him at first base. With good hands and a knack for the game, Arenado adjusted well defensively, and Gonzalez remembers being blown away by the kid's offense. He has unbelievable um, eye-hand coordination. I mean, like nobody I, that I've ever seen at the high school level. Um, 
and he had great pop the other way. I mean, he, he could drive the ball as far as um, he could to right center as he could to left center. Um, so, you know, the concern was, well, is he ever going to pull the ball? And, and I said, you know, seeing this guy for as long as I've seen him, he's he's the he's the He's the best hitter I've ever seen with power to the opposite field, and he could also hit for average. You know, his sophomore year, we, we, you know, we had a league game in Huntington Beach, um, and he hit a ball about 400 feet over the right center field uh, scoreboard as a sophomore. You know, and and, and that really kind of opened my eyes to as far as what kind of power he had. I know he had line drive power, but for him to put it over the scoreboard as a as a 15 year old sophomore um, was was pretty impressive. Gonzalez remembers a transformation for Arenado between his sophomore and junior year when he played on a travel ball team alongside fellow future big leaguers Christian Yelich and Matt Davidson. For one, he showed he could handle the wood bat by belting several homers in a summer tournament in San Clemente, California. But he also began taking better care of his body, increasing his weight training and eating better. Listed at six foot two, 200 pounds, Arenado was still big-bodied for a high schooler, but he cared enough to stop his weight from getting totally out of control. When Gonzalez had his players write down goals for themselves around this time as part of a mental training exercise, Arenado wrote, I want to work out instead of hang out. It's an example Gonzalez shows to his players to this day, and it's far from the only one Arenado left behind at the school. El Toro entered Arenado's senior season ranked number two in the nation by Baseball America. The Chargers had three players who would be taken in the 2009 draft. Arenado in the second round, pitcher Aaron Wersch in the seventh round by the Orioles, and pitcher Chad Thompson in the 17th round by the Yankees. The team was so deep that Chapman, an eventual Platinum Glove winner himself, was relegated to the role as Arenado's understudy at shortstop as a sophomore. El Toro went 22-6 and and had no trouble reaching the Seaview League Championship game against arch-rival Foothill High School. In the top of the seventh and final inning of the league title game, El Toro was up to bat, trailing by a run, with runners on first and second, nobody out, and Arenado up to bat. Everybody in the stands including Major League Scouts, knew this was a moment where Arenado could come up with a big hit. Gonzalez says he was expecting as much. So I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's, we're down by one, we're on the road, um, it's first and second, they really don't want to walk him. So, you know, I, I, I'm just thinking, man, good things are going to happen from here. Arenado had a different idea. I, I think, um, you know, the, the third baseman was playing way back. Um, I I don't know, you know, it was just man on first, no outs. We, we needed to tie the game. I knew that if we could just at least tie against them, we were going to win because they were home. But, you know, we, we had a good pitchers on the mound, and we always felt like we could win, win in Foothill. We always have. So, you know, I think I just did it because based on who we had behind me and, who you know, and I knew they would come up clutch. So it was just trying to be a team player and trying to help the team win any way I can. So Arenado put down a bunt, a perfect drag bunt that caught the third baseman off guard allowing Arenado to reach and load the bases. The next batter hit a line drive to left field to score a pair of runs and give El Toro a 4-3 lead. They finished it up in the bottom of the seventh, and Gonzalez still remembers the post-game conversation. 
And after the game, you know, people come up to me and say, yeah, hey, coach, oh, man, that was a great call given Nolan the drag button. Nobody was expecting it, and and it was a great call. And I go, I go, hey, man, I, go, I had nothing to do with that. I go, I wanted the guy to hit. And then he lays down a drag bunt. But, you know, that that's just Nolan because – it was an opportunity to put our team in a in a position to win a baseball game, to win a league championship, and he was willing to do whatever it took in order, you know, to win a championship. And he trusts his teammates, and and he makes his teammates better, and his teammates love him. So you know that that's kind of a legendary story that I always tell my guys when when they always, you know, maybe you know look sideways when I give them the bunt sign or or or, or whatever. I figure if if Nolan Arnado can do it with a game on the line in a championship game. Um, then I think you can. <laughs> Arenado's selflessness was often on display at El Toro High. In the spring of his senior year, the Chargers participated in the National Classic High School Baseball Tournament in Placentia, California, an event that includes some of the best teams in the country. Going into a semifinal game against Palm Beach Central High School, whose lineup included future Blue Jays second baseman Devin Travis, Gonzalez's club was short on pitching. So Arenado raised his hand. He hadn't pitched that entire season, but he wanted the ball. Let's let Gonzalez take the story from there. So Nolan goes out there, and um, he gives up a base hit in the first inning to, to Devin, and then they bunt him over and they score a run in the first inning. Well, after that, that's the only hit he gave up after the first inning, and I think he struck out 10. He was about 89 to 92 with a good little, you know, good little curveball, throws a ton of strikes. And we ended up winning that game, I think, 10 to 1 or something. But, you know, that was just something that Nolan wanted to do because he knew we were short on pitching. And he goes, Coach, I'll, I'll throw a game of the ball. I'll, I'll take it. And he goes out and beats one of the nationally ranked teams and, and, and throws a you know, complete game one hitter with 10 or 11 strikeouts. The very next day, El Toro faced Modern Day High School from Santa Ana, California, in the championship game. Arenado batted leadoff for the Chargers. Chapman says he still remembers the feeling in the El Toro pregame dugout. They were throwing this lefty kid that was throwing like 95, 96. And in high school, we, I was scared. We were like all scared. <laughs> and Nolan gets up there, and the first pitch of the game, we're playing at Cal State Fullerton. He hit a ball over the hitter's eye that just disappeared. First pitch of the game, mammo. And all of us are just like, who is this kid? Like it was, and then he just came in the dugout, was fired up. And then everybody's like, okay, maybe we do got this guy. I think they ended up winning the game. We lost like two to one, but it was pretty cool. A one-hitter one day, a blast over the batter's eye the next. That tournament, like so many El Toro games, became the Nolan Arenado show. In that senior season, he hit 571, made the Los Angeles Times All-Star team, and committed to one of the best baseball programs in the country at Arizona State. And certainly... He was no stranger to Major League Scouts. So why didn't Arenado go in the first round of the draft? Why didn't the Scouts know what everybody in the El Toro dugout knew? For an answer, we turn to a scouting report posted by MLB.com from that National Classic Tournament. The report glows about Arenado's raw power and bat speed and his plus arm in the field. It says he has, quote, some serious ability with the bat. But the report questions where that bat will play long term. Under running speed, the report notes that Arenado is, quote, duck-footed and lumbers. Base running, it says, is, quote, not a part of his game. 
His body is compared to those of the Molina brothers and Jorvit Torrealba, all catchers. Indeed, the report concludes that the catching spot is a possible landing spot for Arenado and likely his key to being taken in the first couple rounds. Draft and prospects expert Jonathan Mayo wrote that report for MLB.com. But please, don't shoot the messenger here. He was merely relaying the thoughts of area scouts and cross-checkers at that time. Here's what Mayo says about the Arenado report now. There were a lot of question marks about where his defensive home would, would be, but I think because of the below-average speed and the plus arm, people thought, well, you know, maybe that would work behind the plate. You know, he had good hands and he had a good arm. And those things could work behind the plate. And the reason why maybe it wouldn't work at third was because of the lack of, of quickness. Though he played primarily at shortstop, Arenado did a little catching in high school. Scouts would visit El Toro and ask Arenado to suit up behind the plate and show them some throws. Chapman was the one receiving the throws at second base, but he says he knew then that Arenado was not going to be a catcher. I always knew he was going to be an infielder. I didn't think he was going to be a shortstop. I thought that maybe he could have played there a little bit, but I thought he'd be a third baseman because his hands are unbelievable. Mm-hmm. In, I mean, there's always people that try to label you, but until you go out there and work hard and do what you do, you know, you can obviously change a lot of opinions. And I mean, he's done that and more. Two platinum gloves and six golden gloves later. I mean, yeah. but I knew he was, we all knew he was going to be that good. Every you could ask anybody from high school, they knew he was going to be that good. The Rockies would be lying if they told you they saw the platinum gloves coming for Arenado at third base. But their area scout, John Lukens, and their national cross-checker, Ty Coslow, had done enough homework on Arenado to understand his love, passion, and feel for the game. And though Schmidt, the scouting director, knew Arenado would have his work cut out for him as a third baseman, he saw the seeds of a good defender at the position. Here's what Schmidt remembers about Arenado at that stage. He had very good hands and he had arm strength. Um, you know, the first step quickness was, I, I was joke with him, he had cankles. Um, so, unnecessarily the first step was there. But the hands were good and the arm strength, which, you know, played to the thought process of potentially going behind the plate. Arenado says he understood why teams thought he had the potential to catch. But in his mind, it wasn't happening. I think catching is awful. Personally, I would never, oh man, it was really hard when I was doing it. And I, I knew deep down I really didn't want to do this. But if it was going to get me drafted high, I was like, okay, I'll do it. Um, you know, I just wanted to go play. But, you know, I knew I could play third. I just was slow and I knew I could get quicker. But I was slow. And I could see why his teams were, were saying like, well, he doesn't move very good. But my hands and my arm were always good. And I played short in high school. So I always thought like, I was like, oh, I mean, I can move over to the third base. There's not as much room as short to cover and stuff like that. So I think kind of me playing short in high school kind of made it look like I was a lot slower. So, but, uh, you know, I had a good arm and I was able to throw it. My, my pop times were always pretty good. And, you know, I was willing to do anything. So I just wanted to go play. Arenado made his feelings known to Lukens and the Rockies were willing to give him a chance at third, at least initially. As they approached draft day, they looked for as much impact as they could with their three first round picks, mindful of the money involved. Remember, this was before each team had a strict pool of dollars to work with for each draft. In 2009, MLB had only a recommended bonus for each pick. Matzik was available to them at 11, 
because of other teams' concerns about his bonus demands, and he wound up getting $4 million, more than two times the recommendation for his slot. Considering that expected outlay, the team went a more conservative route with the selections of Wheeler, who had never set foot in the big leagues, and with Brothers. Finally, with the 59th pick overall, the sentiment in the Rockies' draft room was clear. Take Arenado. Like other clubs, the Rockies weren't sure where he'd eventually fill in positionally, and they weren't convinced he'd be the power hitter he is today, but they liked his natural feel to hit. Here's what Schmidt says about selecting Arenado. I kind of felt, and it played out that way, that we, you know, we, we knew he wanted to go play. I think for a lot of people it was the question of where he was going to play. And I think you, know, you look back 10 years later now, a lot of people felt that he was going to have to go behind the plate. And, you know, so you take the high school catcher, but ultimately we, we kind of more focused on the bat. And if it had to go behind the plate, we thought, still thought the bat was going there. Arenado watched the draft with his family, which gathered to celebrate both his selection and his aunt's birthday. We had a little get-together for her and the kind of the draft, and, you know, I, it was kind of nerve-wracking because I didn't really want to be a part of it because I didn't know if I was going to go the first day and then it would have been kind of disappointing. Um, but, you know, fortunate enough, we were watching the draft on the computer and EY said my name, and I was really nervous, you know. I, had, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen, but when EY said my name, it was amazing. With our second selection, the Colorado Rockies select Nolan Arenado, a third baseman from El Toro High School, Lake Forest, California. The Rockies gave the 59th pick of the draft the 80th highest signing bonus of the draft, $625,000. From that small investment, big things would come to Colorado. They let Arenado play third base that summer in the Pioneer League and that fall in the Instructional League. The plan was to evaluate that first season and see if Arenado had the potential to stick at the position. What happened, and what no scout could have forecast, was Arenado feasted off the competitive environment of professional baseball much the same way he had been stimulated by those family wiffle ball games. He made further commitments to dropping pounds, improving his footwork, and quickening his first step. In his first offseason of pro ball, he sought out the help of fellow Rocky and fellow Californian Troy Tulowitzki who taught the kid how to properly train and prepare for a major league season. Tulo, who at the time was coming off a fifth-place finish in the NL MVP voting and was coming into his own as one of the best all-around players in the game, remembers that Arenado's will to be great was evident in those winter workouts. He's always had a passion for the game, a good work ethic. I think uh, if you were to ask him, even he would say at the, when he first got drafted and I saw him and he came, actually came out, California to work out with me. Um, you know, his body just wasn't ready yet. Little um, needed to I mean, change his diet a little bit and just get in shape. And uh, once he did that, the work ethic was there, and he continually, you know, improved each and every year. In his minor league career, Arenado further refined his fielding with the help of minor league fielding coordinator Scott Fletcher and his Class A Modesto manager Jerry Weinstein. He adopted a drop-step maneuver when preparing to throw, and he got the reps he needed to get better reads on balls off the bat. Meanwhile, at the plate, he 
he flat out raked. Arenado was a prolific run producer in his minor league career, but even more important, he struck out in just 10.3% of his plate appearances. By 2013, Tulowitzki and Arenado were in the same infield. And while Tulowitzki would see his big league career hampered by injury and his Colorado career completed by a mid-2015 trade, Arenado became one of the most consistent players in the big leagues. He won the Gold Glove his rookie year, and he's won it every year since, amassing an astonishing 109 defensive runs saved in his first six seasons. That's second only to shortstop Andrelton Simmons in that span. At the plate, even when adjusted for the hitter-friendly conditions of Coors Field, Arenado ranked as one of the game's 35 best hitters between 2015 and 2018. The offense combined with the defense to make Arenado the 10th most valuable player in the game, according to Fangraph's wins-above-replacement calculation in that four-season span. Not bad for the 59th pick. Bill Schmidt has gotten a lot of compliments for that pick, but he says the player had just a little something to do with it. I give him all the credit because uh, if you have an opportunity to pull out some old video, look what the body looked like in high school to what it looks like now. That's all on him. Um, that inner drive to, to transform himself. Um, and I think it improved his athleticism. Um, but uh, his, his true love for the game, that, that, that has shown up over the last 10 years. Even Eddie Bain, the guy who drafted Mike Trout at number 25 overall for the Angels in 2009, says he can look at the Trout draft and still pine for Arenado. That was the one. That's my big regret. I, I could have had him too, and and um, he was, you know, he's from El Toro, right by our right by our place, and and um, I don't remember him being like he is, and he, he is one of my favorite players in baseball. But uh, I don't remember him being like that. But uh, yeah, what a, that's a, a Billy Schmidt. That's a great pick. For those who knew Arenado at El Toro High School, none of this is a revelation. Chapman and the other underclassmen from Arenado's senior team were in awe of his play a decade ago. And you could say Chapman's own career, the two-way force he's become in Oakland, is in some way due to Arenado's impact. For one high school to produce two Platinum Glove winners from the same team is unthinkable. But it's ultimately a credit to the example Arenado demonstrated to Chapman, who soaked it up like a sponge. It's not that Arenado was Chapman's mentor, per se. It's more that he served as a roadmap for the younger member of the El Toro Chargers. Here's what Chapman has to say about that now. He was only 17, 18 years old, and I was only 14, 15. So, like, it's hard for somebody that age to really be a mentor to somebody, you know, because he's trying to, he wanted to get drafted, and he's trying to figure out his own stuff. And I'm just, you know, starting puberty, trying to figure out what the heck's going on with me. <laughs> so, he, it's, it, it's, but I watched, I learned more from him by the way he went about his business. You know, I, I would say I looked up to him more than any baseball player I looked up to. You know, he might not know that, but watching him 
because he's the best player I've ever seen, you know, and I wanted to be just like him. I wanted to play pro baseball. I wanted to get drafted, and I wanted to be the best. So I just tried to copy how he took grounders, and how he threw the ball really hard. So I think I tried to just throw the ball as hard as I could, and I think I got better because of him. And then I just tried to copy everything he did. So he kind of set an example by just what he did. Arenado's example is a lasting one at his alma mater, not just for the stories of his standout high school career, but also for the attention to detail he continues to show to this day. Just hours after Arenado struck out against Dellen Batances in the 2016 All-Star Game in San Diego, Gonzalez got a text message. It was from Arenado. Gonzalez recalls that text as follows. Hey, coach. He goes. He goes. Is it okay if I come down and and hit with you tomorrow? Um, I got to get on a plane to go to the next city at I think two or three. But I want to come down in the morning to try to get some some swings in. Uh, me and my dad, we you know want to come down and, and if you open up the cages, you know we can hit and 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 I, I just want to get my swing right because up until that point, he really hadn't had a great first half, and he or he and he didn't really feel that good in the in the latter part of the first half. So he wanted to get his swing right. So. We came down in the morning and threw some flips and, and tees and stuff like that and ended up taking some swings and chatted for a little bit. So it was, you know, good for opportunity to see him again because, you know, obviously don't get to see him that much during the year and chat with him. And, and he just wanted to get right. He wanted to get things back on track and, and, and make sure that he was feeling good in the second half of the season. Um, but that's, you know, who Nolan is, 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 is he just always wants to take one more ground ball. He always wants to take one more swing. He always wants to take that one last perfect swing or one last perfect ground ball before he closes out his day. But that's, you know, that's kind of, that's who he is. He is a player with the will to be great. That's how Nolan Arenado went from the 59th man taken in the draft to a $260 million man a decade later. I hope you enjoyed this look at Nolan Arenado's draft story. Thanks to my producer, Marissa Morris, and thanks to MLB.com reporters Thomas Harding and Brian Hoke for their interview assistance with this episode. Thanks to Nolan Arenado, Matt Chapman, Mike Gonzalez, Bill Schmidt, Jonathan Mayo, Troy Tulowitzki, and Eddie Bain for helping us tell this story. If you like the show, be sure to download the other episodes in this series to hear the 2009 draft stories of Mike Trout, Steven Strasburg, Paul Goldschmidt, J.D. Martinez, and Jeff Luno. You can subscribe to this series wherever you get your podcasts. If you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us to help others find the show. Until next time, I'm Anthony Kastrovitz, and thanks for listening. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.